Hey guys, Laura here. I wanted to invite you to my Authenticity Workshop on Friday, May 24th. The title of this workshop is Authentic Expression and Why It Will Make You Wealthy. And I use the word wealthy not specifically in the traditional sense, although that's true as well, but also holistically wealthy, um, leading to a life of joy, abundance, and expansion. Because when we learn to authentically express, there's nothing more powerful. And once we learn it, and we bring it to our nurse coaching practice, it echoes into over into every other area of our life. So come for this interactive workshop. It's 30 bucks. You need to register. Link will be in the bio. Thank you. Welcome to the Successful Nurse Coach Podcast. On this podcast, Laura and Shelby both board-certified nurse coaches show you how to make as much money as you want in private practice as a nurse coach. Good morning. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Shelby here. I am going to be coming to you with a super saucy, (laughs) with a super saucy topic today. I just sat down to record and while it is not sunny out of my window this morning, the birds are chirping like it is. And, you know, it's kind of cute. I have a little bird background here if you, if uh, my mic can pick up on it. But I intentionally made this title of this podcast a little bit clickbaity to capture your attention because. I want to I want to borrow your time today to talk to you about something super important to me and um a lot of 2020 and 2021 for me something that kept m- my sanity about me going through my aortic aneurysm diagnosis was that this was all happening for me and for the greater good of our nurse coach community and I want to share with you a little bit today on the things I learned through that process and hopefully give you a piece of my experience without you having to have a near-death experience of your own. And um, this will all make sense here in just a second when we get into it. But I appreciate preemptively you tuning in today. I know that this topic of dying and death is polarizing for some and uncomfortable for most. And so by opting into this experience today, um, I'm hoping to bring a little peace and a little comfort to you around death and dying. And yeah, like I said, just knowing that I could share my story with all of you one day was a a really big way of how I kept my own sanity about me during this experience. Um, And Also preemptively, big shout out to uh, Laura. I know she's not live with me here today, but Laura was a really grounding presence for me during this time. It's so funny, a a big reason of why we joined forces in the beginning and as a subsequent, the Successful Nurse Coaches was born, was to have backup for one another and to be supportive of one another. And little did we know like what was after we joined up, I got my aneurysm diagnosis probably a few months later and what a gift that was to me. Um, and yeah, so again, thanks Laura. Love you so much. Um, all right team. So 
a lot of you know the story, but we also have a lot of new people in our world that might not know the story. So I had my first daughter in 2019. And then while I was pregnant, they found an aortic root dilation. Um, I have congenital heart disease. I've had an open heart surgery as an infant. Um, However, my aortic root has always been a little on the larger size, but it's been stable. And I have a bicuspid tricuspid valve. So I only have two leaflets where there should be three. It causes some anatomical differences in my heart, but I was a high level athlete. I was a competitive swimmer. I was really good at it. Like I have had really good cardiac strength my whole life and my heart's been able to keep up just fine. So it was a big surprise whenever I was never told to not get pregnant. I had been cleared from my cardiologist in like 2015 after going to my cardiologist my whole life and getting nothing but good reports. You know, everything was totally normal. And then when I got pregnant, they're like, well, let's just check you out. It's been a couple of years since you've had an echo. Let's just check you out. And they found this dilation. Um, I will be referencing some numbers here to put things in context. So like a normal aorta, your aortic root, right where it leaves your heart is anywhere from three to 3.5 centimeters in diameter. Um, mine hovered at like 3.8, you know, uh, five centimeters is when you are considered for surgery. And when I was pregnant, I was like 4.3 when I was nine weeks pregnant with my first. And, um, so like nothing that they're obviously going to do anything about, but like we got to be worried about it. So for my whole first pregnancy, it was very anxiety ridden. It sucked. It was horrible. (laughs) And then, uh, I had, Ada, she was born, she was healthy, she was wonderful. Um, and then my dilation went down, like it went, or it got up to like 4.6. At the end of my pregnancy, you have an increased blood volume. You all know this. After I had her, my my blood volume went back down. And also at the same time, my dilation went back down. So we went up to 4.6. Six months after I had her, came back down to 4.3. I really kind of thought that that was going to be it, that I would get to monitor it, that it was going to be fine. And then my doctor, when we were living in New York, was like, just make sure you keep an eye on that. And if you get pregnant again, get scanned, get a CAT scan before you have another baby. So we came back. This is the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I told Rob, I was like, it's time. It's time to have another baby. <laughs> uh, I want, and this is, you know, before everything changed, right? So I was like, I want you to be home while I'm pregnant in case I'm sick, like all these things. Uh, And so we decided it was time. And then I scheduled an appointment with my cardiologist. And um, that is when we found that my aneurysm was like at a 5.3. And this was probably six or eight months after my last scan or my last echo. So my life changed very, very quickly. They said, do not get pregnant. We are going to put a pin in this and rescan you in six months. Um, there's a lot of different qualifications and like when you meet surgery and one is like, how big is your dilation? And then two, how, how fast is it growing? Um, and so I technically met the qualifications for surgery then, uh, but they wanted to see like, is it getting any bigger? Is it stable? Blah, blah, blah. I had to get a whole bunch of other testing done and I got to wait while the pandemic started. Um, I also got to worry about that and then also worry about this. And, uh, being, I mean, if you are a nurse, you know what it means to have an aneurysm and just how fragile it can be. 
I was an ER nurse in my previous life. So I've seen a few aneurysm ruptures and they're gnarly. They're super gnarly. So it just felt like I was holding my breath for almost an entire year. And some things that this I learned about myself during this time was just like how raging my anxiety was um, and how well I actually coped with it. Uh, but this this was like pouring gasoline on my anxiety fire. And it's the first time that I reached out for help in the form of therapy. And that changed, completely changed my life for the better. Um, but there was just all of these baseline functioning or ways of functioning that I had adapted to that like no longer were going to work for me. And my anxiety, my anxiety was one of them. Um, and how, kind of like a secondary piece of that is how I didn't really ever feel my feelings. I intellectualized my feelings a lot of like, Oh, I am feeling this way because of this, that makes sense. And then I put it back in the box and I never think about it ever again. <laughs> um, that's not how it works, team. So if you are also an intellectualizer, I also don't know that that's a real word. We're going to roll with it. But if you like to intellectualize your feelings, I'm here to tell you that the purpose of feelings are to be felt, not intellectualized and put in a box and never thought about again. So those those were like my big areas of my own personal work that um, having a life-changing diagnosis brought up for me. And I leaned fully in during that time, you know, I'm in the, I was in the world of personal development. I was a nurse coach. I'm a leader in my community. Like, um, and not only am I a leader in my community, but my community also all knows how bad this is too. Right. So it would have been completely out of alignment for me to show up to calls and been like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I don't need any support. That would have been such a big level of BS. Um, but instead I was able to show up on calls and be like, yeah, I'm I'm struggling right now and serve being in service to um our community was a a part of my coping and a part of my healing to where I was able to show up and help others while also receiving help myself um felt really really good. But the reason I want to share all of this story with you is because having a life-changing diagnosis created a sense of urgency in my entrepreneurial life that I don't like I had it. It's, it's kind of hard for me to completely tease apart, but I had it because I was pregnant when I opened my practice. So I was, there was like a sense of urgency of, I want to create and see what I'm capable of while I'm pregnant before my baby comes just to give it a real good college try. And that worked. Um, but having having your life change, having, having, or just like this come to Jesus moment for lack of a better term of how fragile life is that created a different kind of urgency in my life, not just in my business, but also like in my personal life as well of, uh, I mean, it's so cliche and I know you've all heard it, but like telling people that you love them, if you love them and, um, telling people how much they mean to you. And it's so fragile. It's so fragile in a way that I did not understand before. And um, also it took the pressure off for me too, especially in my entrepreneur life, because like we could all die tomorrow and whatever you've accomplished up until this point, that's just what it is. Right. And 
Um, that still helps me to this day when things hit the fan or like there's a tech mishap or something goes wrong. That's a way I alleviate a lot of like the, the negative self-talk is like, dude, this isn't even that big of a deal. Like you can fix it tomorrow and it'll be okay. Um, because you could die. (laughs) You could die between now and then, and it actually won't matter. It actually won't matter at all. So yeah, I think that just being the patient in this scenario, um, it hits different when you're not the one wearing scrubs, right? So like I, as a nurse, of course, I've witnessed a lot of death. I've held hands of family members. I've experienced death in my own close circle. Um, and that is one way to experience death. And then there is a different way to experience it where you are the one in the patient gown in the seat where the doctor is having that conversation with you. And it is a little bit of an out-of-body experience of like, wait, aren't you supposed to be talking to somebody else? (laughs) Um, Your nurse brain goes completely out the window, at least mine did. And um, you're just, you're so fragile in those moments. And uh, if I was still working bedside, this literally would have changed everything about, I was a good nurse to begin with, but this would have changed everything about the way that I cared for patients. Um, now knowing what it's like to be on the receiving end. Um, but the kind of, I thought that was a big tangent, but kind of to tie it all back here of like, it created, it created an urgency in my entrepreneurial life to like really double down and just go for it. Um, and also it's a pressure release. It's a beautiful duality. It's a pressure release for me of like, don't take yourself too seriously because it's, while this work is life-changing and important and all of those things, it also isn't <laughs> at the same time. It's not everything. It's not your only personality trait uh, is being a nurse coach. That is also not true. Um, but yeah, so it. I'm so grateful for it. And, and that might seem silly to hear, but I'm so grateful for that experience because it put life into perspective in a way that I don't know I could have cultivated on my own. Yeah. And a few other things that I learned that I hope to pass on to you here is that you can show up for your clients when shit is hitting the fan. 100%. It's not like the preferred way. It's not sustainable, but you can show up and you can be a powerful coach when shit is hitting the fan. If you choose into it and I know it because I did it. I I know it because I was, and it's a bit about, you know, compartmentalizing and, and again, working on my anxiety really allowed me to be able to do this. Uh, But Laura and I experienced extreme growth in our business in 2020 and in 2021 um, because I, and I do attribute the pandemic for being a catalyst for nurse coaching because it created urgency for nurse coaches to like choose themselves and to be a part of a solution. And um, you guys know I'm talking, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think had I not been receiving the support on in my personal space, um, I, we wouldn't have been able to keep up. I would have been an anchor uh, on Laura's ship for sure. Um, to where we were able to keep up with the pace and the growth. It was still messy and uncomfortable, but we were able to keep up and grow and evolve to be able to serve our community, even though 
uh, I knew that like I was going to be having freaking open heart surgery kind of at any time. And um, so you can absolutely do, do the thing while shit's hitting the fan. Like I said, not sustainable forever and not preferred, but it is 100%, 100% possible. Um, I kind of feel like, you know how, and this is not a dig at vegans. So don't, don't take it that way. Vegans know that this is a lighthearted joke, but you know how there are some vegans to where being vegan is their entire personality. Um, this, this is me now to where having a near death experience is a really big part of my personality. And if you are a close friend of mine or Rob, like I mention this all the time of like, you could, we shouldn't worry about this because we could die tomorrow or you should do that thing because you could die tomorrow. You should go do that fun thing. You should embrace what makes you happy. You should tell people you love them because it could all be over tomorrow. And I think one thing I had a really hard time with after my surgery was that like I had this awareness around death that a lot of people don't. And that's not coming from like a braggy place like you gross, but um like I would see people, clients, friends, family struggle to make decisions or struggle to go all in or just like struggle. And I'm like, man, if you only had this urgency that I now have a visceral attachment with, this would not be a big deal. This would, this would be a blip on the radar and you would move through it so quickly. And it wouldn't like you would have a reason to make a decision faster. And, um, I went to my coach about it and I was like, telling people that they're going to die on coaching calls is not the most effective way to be a nurse coach, believe it or not. And, um, I went to my coach and I was like, man, how do I bring this into my style of coaching? Like, why doesn't everybody have the sense of urgency that I have now? Like, especially nurses, right? Like I was really struggling with it. And she told me something kind of silly, uh, but also really true of like, you know, we're all really close to death. Like it could happen at any time. You could get into your car and something really terrible can happen. Right. But now you are just more aware of it. Now you are more connected to it. And that's a gift. That's a gift that you bring to the table and you just get to find the words to help create a healthy urgency and others. And that was one really what I needed to hear in that moment, that it wasn't my responsibility to give this experience the same way that I had it to other people, but it was a gift that I get to bring to the table with my clients of that perspective of how, how fragile it all is, um, is truly something I would not have in my tool toolkit without this experience. Um, yeah, I feel a little all over the place, but I'm home. I'm trusting that this is, this is the way it's supposed to, supposed to come through. And I kind of want to end here with a second part of the story. And I've shared this, um, at the first ever nurse coach conference, I got to speak about this on stage. And if you were there during that conference, um, I'm really surprised that I made it through this part without completely crying and breaking down on stage because it was such a, it was just, yeah, such a moment in my life. Um, but 
fast forward through the end of 2020 in October, they decided that um, we were going to move forward with surgery, that my aneurysm had gotten to like 5.5 at that point. Um, I remember my surgeon being like, well, let's get you through the holidays and then we will do the surgery at the beginning of 2021. I was like, okay. So we weren't like urgent. Like I didn't need emergent surgery, but it was urgent ish. So I got to fester (laughs) for about three more months, um, get to know my anxiety on a deeper level. And, uh, that was something else. And in January 21st, 2021, I had the surgery that saved my life and it was amazing. Isn't that weird to say, but, um, anyway, the day of the morning of my surgery, I can't say that that was amazing. That was the hardest day of my life to wake up and have to say kind of a goodbye to everybody that I loved and cared about. And the odds were in my favor for that surgery, but man, like my surgeon made it known that like having a stroke was a very real risk and it just all of those really uncomfortable things that you don't want to have to think about, but it's like you either accept the risk of surgery or you accept that at one point my aneurysm is going to burst and I'm going to die. So like choosing the lesser of two evils here. And I thought that once I checked in for surgery, that it was going to be like every other appointment ever that it was going to take forever. And I was going to be in the waiting room forever. That ain't it, fam. You check in, they get you back, they get you ready to go. You sign consent. And I just asked, I met with my anesthesiologist before surgery. I was like, as soon as I sign consent, can you please give me something for my anxiety? Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. And so they did. They gave me some liquid volume, which that's a ride <laughs> taking liquid volume on an empty stomach. But I signed consent. They gave me the volume. And then all of a sudden we're like rolling down the hall. Like it all happened very quickly. And um, <sighs> yeah, it, I, again, I thought that the hallway, the walk to the OR was going to be really long and it wasn't, it was right there. And all of a sudden, like I was, we were at the red line on the tile and I was having to say goodbye to my mom and, goodbye to Rob. And, you know, it's, it's those goodbyes that are like, we'll see you in a couple hours, but like they're laced with, I hope that I see you in a couple hours. Right. And, um, by this time I have completely lost my mind. I'm sobbing my eyes out and like remembering, uh, saying goodbye to my daughter. Like it, Oh, it just, it all comes in in a huge wave in that moment. And um, you go into the OR and the whole team is there. There's like 50 people in the room. And um, I get on to the table and the, the lights are so bright. It's all so cliche in this moment as well. If the lights are bright, there's a lot of people, it's cold. Um, and my anesthesiologist, I'm pretty sure he's a guardian angel. I I love him. His name is Anthony. and I will proclaim my love for him until the day I die because he was the only person in the room (laughs) that was showing me any sort of comfort. And he, you know, I heard them or I felt them starting IVs on my arm. And by this time, the volume had had uh, taken pretty significant hold. Um, But, you know, they're starting IVs. They have the mask over my face. 
And I hear them saying, like, we just gave her two of Versed and they're waiting for it to kick in. And this, it might have been 10 seconds, but it felt like 10 years. And I'm laying there and I'm just trying to take deep breaths and I'm crying. And my anesthesiologist is holding my hand and he's like, you're doing great, Shelby. Just keep breathing. It's going to kick in. And it is, it is so unbearable in this moment. And then I, I could feel it right as right as the medicine was taking over, the bright lights go a little blurry. And I heard this voice that said, you did it. And like the, the, you did it for me meant like you did it, you survived, you made it until this point of surgery. And now it's kind of like the time to pass the baton to your team to take care of you. And there's a really big flood of peace in that moment of like, you did it. You you operated your life with intention. You went all out. You did the thing you said you wanted to do. And there's no regret here. There's no regret. There's many things on my bucket list that I did not get to experience, but there is no regret left here on the table with you right now. And then I went out. and. That is the type of of knowing that I wish that I could box up for each of you and allow you to fully experience without having to go through something so intense. Um, but team, that day is coming for each of you, whether it's on an OR table or in a cozy bed, it's coming for you. And we don't know when. And... When your bright light comes, I want you to have no regrets with you in that moment. And it is, again, if dying is anything, like going under anesthesia, it is the most beautiful moment. It is the most beautiful moment. It is so, it is so all of the most beautiful things. Yeah, that's what I wish, what I wish to impart with each of you today. Um, There is a whole secondary part of the story, right? That includes recovery and living on the other side of a big operation that uh, if you feel would be important to hear, I'm so happy to share that with you. But um, yeah, I think I want to leave there. And I so appreciate you all for listening I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Um, I know this was a intense episode, uh, but I would love to know what resonates for you, where you're at, um, or if this kicked up something bigger that you need support in, please, please, please message me. I don't want to leave you hanging. Like I said at the beginning, this is this is not a light topic. This is not something you sip mimosas <laughs> and just have a casual chat over. Um, I can't help but get teary every time I I share this story with people. And um, yeah, I just appreciate you listening and sending you lots of love. Talk to you next week. <laughs>